Bibles, we're going to be in 3 John. Wrapping her up. I'm going to read any off of that, but uh, let's pray again uh, together. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's follow along. Um, let's just pray once more. Jesus, we, uh, we pray that uh, your will be done in, in our Bible study tonight, God, that you would show us uh, you want us to see in your word, God, that everything be clear and, and uh, just let your will be done, I pray. And everything that goes on from here on out, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like. Um, so a little bit about this book. We're kind of, well, we finally come to the end of uh, John's epistles. I don't know if you're excited about that. I didn't think we'd ever get there. In 13 weeks or something like that. Maybe next time we'll do the Gospel of John. That will take like a year or three. <laughs> I don't know. But um, this, uh, this epistle is the shortest book in the Bible, if you count words. Um, the King James, that is. It, it's, uh, it's a little bit different than the previous ones that we've gone through. And um, one and two had a bit of an overlap with some of the themes, and John was kind of straightening out some things and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, uh, this one's a little bit different. So. It has some things in common with 2 John, uh, the main thing being that both of these epistles are written to a certain or specific person. So uh, 2 John was written to an unknown mother, and uh, we don't know who they were, and 3 John is written to a man named Gaius, or Gaius, we'll say Gaius. Um, and there's no real theme to the book, to be honest, or it's not really long enough to have much of a theme. Um, and uh, there's not no doctrine that's being straightened out here or taught, so it's a bit different in that sense. And there's not a lot um, of stuff in here, but half of it's greetings and things like that. But we're just gonna look at it and see what it is that we can see. So the first part, uh, there's a greeting, and so that's uh, the first four verses. So first, uh, sorry, third John, verse one. Uh, we're reading in the English Standard again, like we have the whole time. Uh, but it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So if you uh, remember, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've had Bible study. Um, but John's older now, and he sees himself as an elder in the faith. And he's been around since the beginning, literally. And uh, he often, in First John anyway, referred to his readers as little children. So he sees himself as a father kind of figure. So he says the elder. That's why he calls himself that. And John often shies away from mentioning his own name. And that's something that we see throughout the Gospel of John. He always calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved and things like that. And the only one, only writing of John that he refers himself by name is Revelation. And so um, he just kind of doesn't do that. And um, but he's writing this letter to a man named Gaius, or the Roman version of that is Caius. And so, but Gaius, um, according uh, to his scholars and smart folks, was a very popular name among the Romans. And so in, the, in Acts, in the epistles, we see this name five times. Um, first time is mentioned in Acts 19 and 29. There's a man... Um, called Gaius from Macedonia, and he's, uh, he travels with Paul. 
And uh, the second time we see there's a Gaius from Derby, which is the city of Lycaonia, which is mentioned in Acts 20 and 4. And there's a Gaius uh, who Paul stayed with in Corinth, called him his host in Acts 16 and 23. And there's a Gaius mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1 and 14, whom Paul baptized in Corinth. It's probably the same one as the one before. It's both in Corinth. And then this one, um, to who John is writing the epistle, and it's thought to be a different person from all the other above mentioned ones because the way John writes this, it's like he's writing to someone who he had won to God or his convert. And um, <clears throat> they couldn't really say that of any of the other ones that were mentioned. So it's a, it's a popular name. And all through the book of Acts, there are several people with, with that name. It's kind of like the name Mary. If you read through the Gospels, there's so many Marys. And so it's one of those names that we don't really know who it was, it's because it was a popular name. So uh, but scholars think he lived not too far from Ephesus, where John spent a lot of his time, because at the end of the letter he talks about coming to see him shortly, which wouldn't be possible if he lived somewhere far away as of travel. So it's assumed uh, also that he wasn't uh, a pastor or a bishop or a deacon or anything like that, but just a good old solid guy in the church. And a guy who had his own house and um, probably some money and things like that because John will tell him to take care of the brothers, missionaries and stuff. So whoever this guy was, uh, he was dear to John. And whenever we read the New Testament, we see a lot of these um, guys as like, we see them as like huge giants of the faith. Um, you know, some of them are, you know, Paul's kind of larger than life. Peter was also kind of like that. But um but sprinkled throughout you know, the book of Acts and the New Testament, through the epistles and, and things like that, we, we see people, they're just regular folks. We would just call them saints in, in the church. And people who, as far as we know, never got behind a pulpit or never went on missionary journeys. There's, there's people like Lydia in the book of Acts who just sewed clothes for people and, and helped them. And she was nice and kind to everyone. There's people like Stephen who we all see as like this great martyr or whatever, but all he did was just wait on tables until people got mad at him and killed him. The only time he preached was when he was on trial. And there's people like Cornelius who just prayed and, and gave. And uh, people like Mary Magdalene who um, her and some other ladies, they supported Jesus and the disciples financially. And there's people like Gaius who just welcomed folks into, into his home. And so these are the people that make a church strong and healthy. And we always, we like to focus on John and Peter and, and Paul and all that, but these are the these are the people that made the church what the church was and made the church strong and healthy. It's not the pastor or missionary that makes the church; it's the local folks that are there, right? You guys are the church. I could leave tomorrow, and you guys will hopefully stay, <laughs> and you'll be the you'll be the church. This is the church of Middleton. It's you guys, and so. Um, you know, we always look at the, the apostles and stuff, but the, all throughout the Bible, there's all kinds of people that mention some four or five Gaiuses, Gaiuses, a <laughs> whole bunch of Marys, all kinds of people. And so that's what makes the church. So um, verse two says, beloved, uh, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So beloved obviously is a term of endearment. So he's close to this guy. He's... Um, you know, has strong, affectionate feelings for him. Maybe even loves the guy in a Christian sense. 
And he says, I pray that everything goes well with you and that you may be in good health. Why? Because it's easier to work uh, for the kingdom of God if you're in good health. And that doesn't mean that if your health isn't good, you can't. That's, you know, not right. It also doesn't mean that everyone who is in good health is working to their ability. There are some among us who are maybe not as healthy as they used to be. Maybe they're a bit worn down and they're outworking the rest of us. One guy told me he'd rather burn out than rust out. <laughs> and some of us, uh, maybe we've wasted some of our healthy times, and that's kind of a shame. But he's praying that his health would be good so he could you know, continue to do what he's, he's doing. So this guy he's writing to inevitably is a worker in the kingdom. And so John is praying that everything goes well, that he's healthy, so that he can be the most effective for the kingdom that he can be. And this letter that John writes has is no real doctrinal kind of teaching or anything. He's not trying to straighten anyone out. He's just writing this letter to this guy because he appreciates him. It says just an outpouring of love from one Christian to another. And when we love someone, um, something John has talked to us about extensively, we should want the best for them. And we should want them to be healthy and effective in, in the kingdom. And that's, that's why we just took prayer requests. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people brought needs of healing. Because we want people to be healed and healthy so they can continue to live for God and, and do what they can. And that's why we pray every week for people to be healed. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And we know that's, you know, in the hands of Jesus. And he has his own reasoning for different things. And But we should want um, to see people healthy and whole because we care for them. He says that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So be in good health as your soul is. So John is praying that the physical man would reflect the spiritual man. His soul's right, so he's praying that his, his body, his health will be right. Uh, his soul is prospering. God's done a work in his life. And John's prayer is that the outside would reflect the inside, and it's kind of a, a theme throughout the epistles. You know, we're made a new creature on the inside, and it shows on the outside. It should. Um, the fruit of the Spirit grows in us, and it's evident on the outside by how we treat each other. Holiness, we know, starts in the heart and shows up in how we dress, speak, act, and treat others. And repentance starts in the heart and shows up on the outside. So John is Basically, just praying for um, praying that the outside of the physical man would be in good health as the soul is, and he's praying this out of love for the guy. He says, "Beloved, this is what I want to see for you." And verse three says, "For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth." There's not uh, not much greater than knowing someone you care about or someone who you have brought to Jesus is walking in the truth, right? That's a, there's not much greater. That's what this is all about, right? It's a cause for, for rejoicing. And that, what's neat about this is the brothers have come to John. We'll talk about the brothers later, but they've come to John and instead of, um, as often people do, instead of talking about Gaius's faults or failures or issues, because uh, probably had some, like we all do, they tell John the good stuff. And we choose what we tell others about our brothers and sisters. We make that decision. Do we bring up their faults and failures when someone mentions 
Wilma and she's not there, what do we say? Someone mentions me, little Mel. Do we bring up the, the fail, failures and faults and sin, or do we rejoice and tell others that they're walking in the truth? Because that says a lot about us. How do we talk about our brothers and sisters? John's told us over and over in 1 John uh, that we need to love each other and that we need to be willing to lay down our lives for each other. And we should build each other up and we should focus on the good in each other. Why? Because we love them more we're supposed to. You know, my wife <laughs> doesn't go around to everyone in the church and tell them all my faults and failures. And there's a lot of them and she knows them more than anyone else. And she doesn't do that, I think, because she likes me. Maybe even loves me. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> instead of coming to John and saying, oh, John, that guy is guy, he's, we were hanging out with him and he said some pretty foolish things. Um, he did some pretty dumb things. And instead of that, they focus on the fact that he's living, uh, living for God. And walking in the truth is something that John's already taught us about already. And, uh, truth here refers to you know, pure Christian doctrine. So hearing that someone is walking in the truth should be the best thing that we can hear. You know, sure that promotion that they just got is good or, oh, they lost some weight. Well, that, that's neat. Um, the new house or the new thing they bought is good or the education they just finished, that's good to hear. But nothing is better than knowing that a person is walking in the truth. In fact, John says in the next verse, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So again, John, the elder, sees those under him or who he's worked with as his children. And he said, there's no greater joy than knowing those people who you have invested time in and who you've taught and trained and poured into. There's no greater joy than knowing that they are walking in the truth. Um, our children... Don't have the Holy Ghost yet, but I can't. They were starting to seek for the Holy Ghost, and that was a pretty good feeling in itself. I can only imagine what it's like, what it's going to be like when we see them filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the this is the greatest joy. There's nothing that tops this. And if uh, you're a child and you want to make your parents' day, tell them you're praying through. Tell them you've given your life to Jesus. There's no greater joy than hearing that. And this doesn't go just go with children, because you know John's been calling his readers you know, little children over and over, and so this can apply to anyone. I don't want, I don't know how to say it other than under us, but anyone that we've worked with, or anyone we've taught, uh, anyone we've won to God, anyone who falls under our ministry in any sort of way, there's no greater joy than seeing someone living for God that you taught a Bible study to, or you witnessed to, or you invited to to church, or you one to God or someone that you preach to or, or whatever. There's no greater joy as a Sunday school teacher than to see those kids filled with the Holy Ghost and living for God. Every time I go home, um, St. John, there's a lady that taught me in Sunday school named Karen, and she always tells me how happy and proud she is. How, you know, she's just so awesome that you're doing what you're doing. And, I remember and all this stuff, and she's just always so excited to, to see me and tell me how you know happy and proud she is of uh, whatever it is we're doing that <laughs> we're still here, I guess. And and there's no greater joy as as a youth pastor than to see those kids that you've poured into and prayed with, living for God. And there's um, kids 
know, we were youth pastors in um, Ontario for, for a little bit, and then there are people that came into the church when we were there as youth pastors that are still living for God, and they they brought um, one guy got married, and then they have three three kids, four kids, I don't know, trying to catch up to us. <laughs> they're all going to church. They're faithful. They're part of the church, and that that is awesome. When I see it on, on Facebook or hear stories, it, there's no greater joy than that. That's what this is all uh, about. And so Jesus said to go and make disciples and disciples follow. And so this is, um, this was the, this is the greeting part that John's kind of, um, how he opens the letter. And John loves this guy, Gaius, and he's praying for him. He's rejoicing in the fact that he's walking in the truth. And these are a few basic things that we should and we can do to each other by following John's example. We should love each other in the truth. We should pray for each other. Uh, we should pray for each other's health and for strength that they'd be effective in the kingdom, that God would use them in mighty ways, pray for their body and pray for their soul. And we should rejoice in the fact that they're still here. You guys are still here. <laughs> you haven't left me yet. You haven't left Jesus yet. You're still here. You know, sometimes we all, where's everyone else? But you guys are here and we should rejoice in the fact that you guys are still, still here. Instead of, you know, running people into the ground because they're not perfect yet, we should rejoice that they're still walking in the truth. Uh, instead of tearing them down because they're not the same as us, we should rejoice that Jesus has kept them thus far. And instead of expressing our frustrations and our differences, we should rejoice in their faithfulness. And so that's... Uh, the next little bit here, um, I think 5 to 11 or so, uh, John talks about support in opposition. So we're going to read 5 to 8. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing, faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. You will do well to send them on, your, on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John's praised Gaius' faithfulness, and he's walking in the truth. He's rejoiced in this. Now he's going to turn his attention to a thing that he's done that proves um, his faithfulness, that proves that he's been walking in the truth, that proves he's living for Jesus. Because our faithfulness to Jesus should overflow into our faithfulness for the church. To our faithfulness to each other. You can't be faithful to Jesus and then treat your brother and sister like garbage. You can't be faithful to Jesus and trash his bride. You can't be faithful to Jesus and not come to church and gather with your brothers and sisters. This is all connected. It overflows into each other. And so he says, this is the faithful thing that you do. And all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So who are these brothers? These are the same ones who have testified to John and told them that Gaius was walking in the truth. In verse 3, for rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And so these are, these are brothers who would be traveling around from place to place and inevitably have come to John and told them, told him where they've been, and he's asked about Gaius, just kind of reading between the lines. And who travels from place to place within the church? Missionaries, evangelists. And so these 
Brothers are most likely evangelists or missionaries who are starting new works and traveling to new places and preaching and teaching in other churches and cities along the way. I know you know this, but you couldn't just hop on a plane or a train or get in your car and go from Ephesus to Corinth or Rome or Philippi or wherever. Um, you'd, have to, you'd have to walk. And it would take a while. Maybe, maybe you could take a boat and cross over a lake or something, but for the most part, you're walking or you have an animal maybe, you're riding, but you're not going very fast. And so these early church missionaries, it would take them months and sometimes years to get where they were going. And along the way, they, they need to rely on the hospitality of the early church. So when they went to a new town or a new city, they would need someone to take them in and give them a place to stay and feed them and all that. And so that's why we have, if you read the epistles, there are portions dedicated to hospitality and how we treat each other. And uh, so one, the, these brothers, these missionaries, evangelists, or whatever, they had no place to go, like to stay. And two, it was necessary for the safety of these guys, um, traveling sometimes into hostile environments and cities, and being able to stay with fellow believers who weren't going to turn them over to the government or to the Pharisees or whoever, um, turn them over to the authorities. That was a huge plus to be able to stay with someone they could trust. In fact, it was such a big deal that in his letter to Timothy, Paul lists it as one of the qualifiers to be a bishop in the church. Verse uh, First Timothy 3 and 2, he says, A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. We all... Yeah, yes, we got that. But then he says, given hospitality and apt to teach. This is something that was expected of the early church. If someone's coming through, you need to take care of them. It was a big part of the early church. This is what helped spread the gospel. And it cut costs because they didn't have to pay to stay at an inn somewhere. Uh, it helped them keep the missionaries safe because the families and people they were staying with would know where they could go or not go. You know, we... Um, <laughs> We went to, you know, Africa, I tell you every week. And there are places and times the missionaries said, don't go out after dark because you'll get robbed. Because you glow in the dark mostly and people can see you and you get robbed and, and it's not safe. But if we didn't know that, we might have went out after dark and got hurt. For the most part, it was safe where we were, but... Um, you know, that's, that's one of the benefits of having somebody host. And so these people that were coming in, staying with people, they would know, okay, don't go out after dark, don't go to this place, don't go to that place, stay with us, we'll keep you safe. And so this is what they would do. And this is why in, um, sorry, sometimes they would stay for uh, a, few, a few months and encourage the church there. Sometimes they'd start a church, um, they would stay for a year and put someone else in and move to the next town. But this is, they kind of gradually and slowly moved to where they were going. And, and this is why in 2 John, if you remember, he says to a lady he's writing to in um, verses 10 and 11, he says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So he's talking about people that were preaching false doctrine and teaching false doctrine and um, these false teachers. He said, by having them in your house, giving them a place to teach and giving them a place to stay and hide and all that, you are furthering their false 
um, their false gospel and their false doctrine. That's why he was so hard against it. And by doing that, you were taking part of their wicked works and you were helping spread that. And so these, these brothers have met with John, who is kind of a big deal. And uh, they've told him about Gaius. And so he's written this letter to him. He says, verse 5 and 6, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love for the church. You will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God. So Gaius, it appears, has supported and welcomed and taken care of these uh, men on their journeys. We don't know if it was one group of them because they often traveled in small groups or if it was several groups and he's just kind of hosted whoever was coming through. Uh, but the word has gotten to John um, from these brothers and they've, um, they've testified of Gaius' love towards them and the church. And how we treat each other matters and how we treat uh, our missionaries matters, how we treat our pastors matters, how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters matters. And I've got friends that are missionaries and I've heard stories of people just treating them in very poor ways when they're on deputation. Uh, and I've heard of other, I know other people that have gone to preach for a church and they just treated them poorly. They didn't, you know, um, pay them or take care of anything, feed them. They just, you know, thanks, get out of here. Like, just the way they did it. And it, according to this, that's not right and that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so verse 7 and 8, he says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So these brothers or these missionary types have gone out in the name of Jesus, and they weren't, they weren't taking any money from anyone outside of the church. And so John says that we should support people like this. I know we do. We've got missionaries all over the place. We support our missionaries. We should support... Our preachers, we should support our evangelists. The King James Version says we should receive them. We can support people by receiving them and welcoming them and hosting them and treating them like the family they are because that's what the church is supposed to do. And when we do this, we become fellow laborers or fellow workers with them. We pair up with them. We work together with them. By supporting our missionaries, we're working alongside of them. And the old saying is, some give by going and some go by giving. And not everyone is going to go and start a church, but everyone can support those that do in some way. We can feed them, we can pray for them, we can give, whatever we can. We can support them in some way. A large percentage of churches in North America support no missionaries. And I'm not supposed to give my opinion from the pulpit, but I will. In my opinion, I'm not sure how you can call yourself a church if you don't. And that's all I'll say about that. It's this, that's the whole point of the, the church, is to make disciples and go. And so John praises Gaius for his support of the work of God, and then he, he shifts to warn and talk about those who oppose the work of God. So this is kind of the the main part. We've got support and opposition. Uh, verse 9 and 10, he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, that's a good name, who likes to put himself first, when the King James says he likes to have preeminence among the brothers or something, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if 
I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this guy, must he must be wherever Gaius is. So he's kind of warning him about this guy. He says, when I come, we're going to bring it up. Um, John has written something to this church, uh, to the church, and there's this guy, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself above everyone else. And he... He's not acknowledging the authority that John, one of the original disciples, has. And we don't know if this guy was a pastor or a leader or just <laughs> just a wacko. I don't know. That's the word I use. I think my pastor used to use it. Brother God, that's where it came from. Some wacko in the church. Um, trying to get all the attention and power because those people do exist. Um, we don't know. We don't really know. He doesn't go into the details. But according to John, he's been doing a couple of things. One, he's been talking wicked nonsense against John and the other disciples. Um, it's funny, like, when you read through the Bible and you see that people, like we say, peoples is peoples. People haven't changed much. They still do these things. When someone doesn't want to submit to someone else, what do they do? They start talking wicked nonsense. They start rumors. They start stories. They try to undermine whoever it is they don't want to listen to. They come up with excuses as to why they shouldn't have to do this thing or listen to this person. Well, I know they did this, so I'm not going to listen to them. Who are they to tell me? And they start propping themselves up. They still do this, people. I've been on the receiving end of this nonsense before, and I'm really no one in the grand scheme of things. I had a guy hand me a letter detailing how unapostolic I was, how bad of a pastor and man of God I was, accused me of all kinds of stuff. It was great. I went in the garbage. But I received messages, people telling me how proud and arrogant I am, which is funny to me. I received uh, other messages questioning my calling and integrity. I've had my parenting and pastoring Questioned, and I'm just this little nobody from nowhere in the middle of Nova Scotia, the middle of the valley. It's exciting stuff. So I can imagine what they were saying about John and the other guys. And these are just the things that are said and written to me. No, that's not including the things that are I don't hear. And so... <laughs> This often stem, stems from people like um, Diotrephes, who really, when it comes down to it, they don't want to submit um, because they've got a big ego and they think that they are the most important people in the world and everyone else, for lack of better words, is an idiot. Everyone, anyone know someone like that? Look at your neighbor. No. <laughs> Everything revolves around them and their feelings and their ideas. And when someone doesn't cater to them um, or coddle them, they start lashing out. Or someone doesn't go along with their idea, either because it was a bad idea or there are other things in play behind the scenes that they don't know about, they start acting foolish. And so not only was um, Diotrephes doing this, he was also refusing to welcome others and forcing people out of the church. So any church or any saint who refuses to welcome others and drives people from the church 
is wrong. You're in direct opposition to God because that's the whole point of the church. And so this is like a direct contrast to Gaius. And who's, he's welcomed everyone. He's got a good report. And Diotrephes did not. So there are two ways we can be. Gaius or Diotrephes. One is right, one is wrong. And both were found inside the church. And then we get, if you remember first John, he had these very bold statements, black and white. And so we get one of those here in verse 11. He said, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. So he says we have two options. We can be like Gaius, or we can be like Diotrephes. We can imitate evil, or we can imitate good. We can do the right thing or the wrong thing. It's up to us. We have a choice. We can spread wicked nonsense about people, or we can rejoice that they're walking in the truth. We can support our missionaries and pastors and evangelists and preachers, or we can undermine them and not. And like he did in 1 John several times, John points out that whichever one we do matters. If we do good, we are of God. If we do evil, we're not. And that's it. That's the test. Are we more like Gaius or Diotrephes? One is right, one is wrong. In verse 12, he brings up another guy. It says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here's another guy we don't know much about. This is it. Uh, his name is Demetrius, but Gaius obviously does. And maybe he's in the same area, the same church. Um, and John is present, presenting him as a contrast for Diotrephes. So Diotrephes, he's spreading nonsense. He's not hospitable. It's, it's kind of... Uh, I'm not a nice guy. He won't listen to anyone. He thinks he's number one. But he says, Demetrius, he's got a good testimony from everyone. And John, and who he's with, backs that testimony up. And because John is who John is, you know that he's telling the truth. John wasn't a guy that lied or, you know, he was a pillar. He was one of the disciples, the one that Jesus loved. And some people are just like that. You know, if some... There's some people in their lives that they say a thing, you know it's true, and you don't question it. Right? They just say something and you don't doubt it. They just have that reputation. And that's come not by lying, but by telling the truth over and over and over and being a good judge of character and all that sort of thing. And so they just have that reputation. And some elders, you just believe them. You just take their word for it. And they've earned that respect. And that's where John is. And John says, there's this guy, Demetrius, he's good, I'll vouch for him. And sometimes we just got to take the word of people we respect. This guy's a good guy. That's it. All right, John said so, so it must be true. Instead of being suspicious of everyone and creeping on their social media and looking to find some dirt. <laughs> this has happened to many folks. Someone finds something on someone's Facebook or whatever and they decide to take offense or something that wasn't directed to them and they don't even understand. Before we moved here, I had some <laughs> But something I shared, and then I hit all my privacy settings. I was like, what is this? Madness. Taking offense over something that wasn't even about them or anything, and then they try to discredit ministry and stuff. That's what people do. And if we spend as much time praying for people as we spend trying to find dirt on them, I think the church would be a bit, a little bit stronger. So he says, Demetrius is a good guy. You need to, you know, I'm saying he's a good guy. 
His testimony is good. So instead of guys being suspicious, he's just got to take the word of John. And Demetrius is a decent fellow. And if we could, you know, only take the word of our brother and sister and just believe them, I think we'd be in a better place. He said, well, I don't know about this guy. I saw them do this. Just, no. Just take it. Make sense? All right. So then he's got some more greetings at the end. And this is pretty much it. Um, 13 to 15. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you, and friend, the friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So he ends kind of the same as Second John. He says, there's a lot of things I want to tell you, but I'd rather talk face to face. Which is kind of funny to me that this guy wrote three epistles, wrote a gospel, wrote the book of Revelation, and he doesn't seem to like writing. He's like, I just want to talk face to face. Um, I know some of us prefer writing and texting and emailing because we don't like to see people. <laughs> but the best way to communicate has always been face to face and always be face to face because you can sort everything out there and make sure they're, you know, we understand each other. And so he says, I hope to see you soon so that we can talk face to face. And really, I think that speaks to his affection towards Gaius because if he didn't really care about him, he wouldn't really care if he saw him again. And then he wishes him peace and he greets him from some friends and tells him to greet the other friends and, and that's it. So, like I said, it wasn't like a big heavy. We've had some heavy ones in the past. It's kind of light, just little warnings and stuff. But So what can we learn from this? We can learn that we should be hospitable to people in the church. We should support our um, ministers, ministries, missionaries, evangelists. We should back them up. We should be um, wary of people who spread wicked nonsense about other ministers and things like that and um, brothers and sisters in the church. And anyone who thinks the world revolves around them is wrong and often is a troublemaker. And if you do good, that's of God. If you do evil, that's not. So we've got two options. We can support or we can be in opposition. We can support the work of God. We can support the church, or we can be in opposition and try to make everything about us. We can be like Gaius and Demetrius, or we can be like Diotrephes, which is a great name, but a bad person. Does that make sense? Clear? All right. Let's, well, let's just pray before we go. Pray that God would help us to be um, the right one of these. Let's pray together. Jesus, we... Lord, we thank you for everything we've learned so far um, looking at these epistles. God, I pray that you would help us to apply these things to, to our lives. When it comes down to it, there's two options. We can support or we can oppose the work of God and, and the kingdom of God. And I pray that you would help each person that's here, God, to, to be in support of, of your kingdom, God. And I pray if there's anything that we need to, to work on, anything we need to fix, Jesus, that you would speak to us so we can... We can address that, Jesus. I pray, God, draw us closer to you. God, help us to be who it is that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, God, let your will be done in, in your church and your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.